Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center here in Austell, Georgia. Pay attention to this message. I believe God is gonna say something to you that is gonna bless your life, change your life, and empower you and equip you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Listen up, and we'll talk to you at the end of today's broadcast. For as much as you know, you will not redeem, rescue, bought back with corruptible things as silver and gold. From your vain lifestyle, that's what the word conversation means, received by tradition from your fathers. But, so you were redeemed, rescued, ransomed, bought back with something more valuable than silver and gold. And what is that? The precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or revealed in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God foreordained or picked and planned before the world began that Jesus would pay the price to rescue us from our sins and the powers of darkness. And so this is true theologically. But it's also great news for our everyday life that before you ever messed up, God already had a solution. Before you ever screwed up, God had a plan. So instead of trying to figure out how to fix your life by yourself, go to the one who had a plan before the world began. And so Jesus and the Father made a decision that although humankind will mess up, we're willing to pay the price for them to be brought back to where we want them to be. So what we've been doing in this series is following the scarlet thread from the very beginning. And so we looked at Genesis 3.15, how after Adam and Eve sinned, God said that there was going to come the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent would only bruise his heel. So we've called this man the Genesis 3.15 crusher. We talked about how Satan's efforts to exterminate the line because he did not want the Genesis 3.15 man to show up. And so as we were following the scarlet thread, we've looked at two important words when viewing the Word of God, covenants and dispensations. The word covenant is used 298 times in the Word of God. If it's used 10 times, it's important, but 298 different words shows the importance of covenant when viewing the Word of God. As we said before, a covenant signifies mutual understanding between two or more parties, each binding himself to fulfill specified obligations. It is a legal contract, a binding agreement, a written agreement. It also refers to a solemn agreement to do or not to do a certain thing. As we covered, shedding of blood was the common denominator of various covenant ceremonies. We said a dispensation is a plan or method to reveal the mind and will of God. It is a system of revealed promises regulating human affairs. The Hebrew word for covenant is defined as a compact made by passing between pieces of flesh, which implies the thought of cutting a covenant. So as you study dispensations, you clearly see man's part and man's failure. Yet in the midst of judgment of sin, there is God's purpose and provision. In the midst of the chaos caused by humanity, God continues to thread the scarlet thread to redeem all of mankind as began to be revealed in Genesis 3.15. So in this series, we have covered the Edenic, Adamic, Noahic, Abrahamic, and Mosaic covenants. We've also covered the dispensations of innocence, conscience, human government, promise, and law. So go to Genesis 12. And we'll move forward to set up for where we're going on Good Friday. Genesis 12. In this whole story of redemption, outside of Jesus, 
One of the most important men in the story is Abraham. And we looked at why in part one. We're reminding us what God said when he called Abram out of his place. He says, Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from your father's house, unto a land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. One of the things we saw as we followed the scarlet thread is God's determination to bless mankind. We said the first words mankind ever heard in Genesis 1 was, be blessed. Because remember, it says, God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So the first words mankind ever heard was the blessing. This lets you know the perfect will of God for all men of all kind is the blessing of God. Even after man screwed up, even though they screwed up so royally, judgment came and the flood wiped out everybody. But Noah's family, what did God do? He blessed Noah and his sons. And so now we see a few hundred years later, from the line of Noah, through Shem, comes a man named Abram. And God calls Abram with a promise of blessing. He said, I'm going to bless those that bless you. And in you, everybody is going to be blessed. Once again, we see God's heart. He wants to bless everybody. So one of the things we see with the Genesis 12 promise is that God is showing that the Genesis 3.15 crusher would come from the descendants of Abraham. Go to Genesis 49. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 boys and one girl. Talk about be fruitful and multiply. And so following the descendants of Abraham, because Abraham had multiple kids, Isaac had two kids, but now it's being clarified because God said Abraham to Abraham, it's going to come through Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob, it's coming through Jacob. Now Jacob's about to make very clear which one out of his 13 kids is this Genesis 3.15 crusher coming through. But he's called a different name. I'm going to read it from Amplified Classic Edition, Genesis 49 verse 9 says, Judah, a lion's cub, with the prey, my son, you have gone high up the mountain, he stooped down, he crouched like a lion, and like a lioness, who dares provoke and rouse him? The scepter or leadership shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh, the Messiah, the peaceful one, comes to whom it belongs, and to him shall be the be obedience of the people. So one of the things we see here, the Genesis 3.15 crusher is going to come from the line of Judah. Here in Genesis 49 is where we get the first reference of Jesus being the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so one of his messianic titles is Shiloh. That word means tranquility and peace. So he says there's going to come a lion from the tribe of Judah. There's going to come a crusher who is going to bring tranquility, and he is going to bring peace. And all the nations will obey him. And so we know after this, the children of Israel are in Egypt, and we looked at it last week, how God supernaturally delivered them in fulfillment of his promise towards Abraham. He told Abraham what was going to happen to them, but he made him a promise, I will bring them out, and they will come out with great material substance, and I'll take them to the land I promised you. And so we looked at all of that last week, 
And then we ended talking about a woman named Rahab. How Rahab was part of Jericho society. She was a prostitute. She was a well-known woman in the city. But one of the things that differentiated her and the rest of the city is she believed God. She heard what God did in Egypt. She heard what God did in the wilderness for the children of Israel. And she said, I know this land belongs to you. I believe in what your God said. She had faith. You look at Hebrews 11, it talks about her faith. James even talks about her faith, how she proved her faith by her works. And so because she had faith, she hid the two spies and kept them safe from the king of Jericho and the men he sent to look for them. And he says, now that I've kept you safe, I want you to keep my family safe. And they said, if you tie this scarlet thread around your window, and if you stay in the house, nobody is going to touch you. Now, the thing is, they got down on that scarlet thread, and they climbed down the wall, right? But when they marched around Jericho, what happened? The walls fell except Rahab's house because the scarlet thread, which was the foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus, was there. And everybody that was in Rahab's house was safe. And it wasn't just Rahab and a few friends. When you look into that word, it meant it was not just her family. It was her extended family. Everybody that Rahab knew, hey, come on over. I'm going to have some pizza. It's a Tupperware party. Just come on. Why? Don't ask questions. Just be here. Do not be late. No CP time. Get here early. And so they don't know why they're there. But when the judgment starts to happen, the wall starts to fall. Oh, Rahab, what's happening outside? Don't you open that window. Don't you open that door. And everyone in Rahab's house was safe. And now that's a good story. Just by faith, it saved her from judgment. But faith doesn't just get you out of something. It gets you into something. Because Rahab goes on and marries this wealthy man of the city. His name is Salmon. He's wealthy. He's a prince of the tri- in the tribe of Judah. And they have a son named Boaz. And we're very familiar with Boaz because of the story of Ruth. And we know they were wealthy because it gets to the time of Boaz, and he's really wealthy. Now, even though it's a time of famine, he has food and he has money. And so we know Ruth the Moabitess marries Boaz. And you see in Ruth chapter 4, verse 17, well, 14 through 17, that when they had Boaz, Boaz gets married eventually, and he has a son named Obed. He's like, well, what's the point of Obed? We know Boaz. We know Rahab. What's, oh, what's the part of Obed? Obed eventually has a son and names him Jesse. So, well, Jesse, okay, that's a cool name. That sounds kind of modern. What's the point of that? Jesse has a bunch of sons, but one of his sons is named David. See, faith didn't just get Rahab out of judgment and put her in the lineage of kings. See, don't disqualify yourself because your past is a mess. You get into faith, it'll get you out your mess and put you in the lineage of royalty. And so, go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 with me. Because Jacob prophesied that through Judah, a king would come. And through this king's lineage, Shiloh would eventually get here. And so, the first king of Israel is a man named Saul. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And for different reasons, God said, I'm rejecting you from being king. He didn't say, I reject you. He said, I'm rejecting you from being king. And so the kingship will be removed from him from one day. 
And Samuel is grieving over this. He's crying over this, saying, what's going on? And God says, how long are you going to cry about Saul? I found a person who's going to do what I say. I found a person who's after my heart. Now, I want you to go anoint him. He's among the sons of Jesse. So God gives Samuel the plan of what to do. And Samuel gets out there, and he looks at them, and Jesse is bringing in all the sons one by one. You know, basically the oldest. If it's going to be a king for my kids, it's going to be the oldest. And he was tall. He looked kingly. And Samuel said, well, he was saying to something, this looks like the one. And the Lord said, uh-uh. I don't look at the outside. I look at the heart. So Samuel said, next one. No, that ain't him either. Next one. That ain't him. Next one. Next one. Next one. Next one. You know, Samuel might be going like, did I miss it? I know God said this. What if your case is like, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Well, there's that other one. <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> Spends time making music, and he takes care of sheep, so he stinks. And, you know, he's the youngest. You know, he's a pretty boy. We left him outside. He said, I'm not going to sit down and eat till he comes. David, the one who was disregarded by his family, is called in, and the Holy Ghost said, that's the one. And right there, it says, in the middle of his brothers, in the middle of the ones who did not think enough of him to bring him in the house, in the midst of the family that said, nah, he's kind of weird, he's a musician, he's a pretty boy, what's, what's, what's wrong with him? In the midst of everybody who denied him, God anointed him and said, he's the one. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Because history truly does now have his eyes on David because he's anointed to be king. And there's going to be many obstacles in front of him. But it's not just history that has his eyes on David. His story has his eyes on David. Because now with the prophecy that's coming to pass, now it's going to happen through David. So David's anointed to be king, and guess what happens? He goes back to take care of the sheep. See, you could be anointed to be something, but it's not your time to stand in your role yet. That God can anoint you for something years down the line. You're anointed for it yet, but it doesn't mean you do it tomorrow. So the time of God still had happened. So he's anointed, and he goes back to take care of the sheep. And so as he's taking care of the sheep, his dad calls him in and says, hey, your brothers are gone to the battlefield. I want you to go see how they're doing, check on them, bring them the snacks, bring this general this food, and come back to me and tell how everything's going on. So David, about this time, he's 17. He's anointed to be king, but he's going to deliver pizza. <laughs> so as he's going to deliver this food, he gets there, checking on how everything is going, just like his dad asked him to do. But he doesn't know that for 40 days... The Philistine armies have lined up on the opposite side of the valley against Israel. It was time to do battle. And the Philistines sent a champion by the name of Goliath. Nine feet tall. Even today, that's just too huge. Because, you know, you watch the NBA games, and the guys who look short are taller than me. And so on TV, they're like, oh, okay. But you get next to them going, oh, what's up? So Goliath is nine feet tall. And every single morning, he comes out in the morning and says, look, why should we all fight? That doesn't make sense. Y'all send one champion, and I'll fight him. And if y'all beat me, 
we'll all serve you. But if I beat him, y'all serve us. And when he made that announcement, it says all of Israel was quivering in their boots. They were shaking their boots. They were afraid. And this is not something he did once or twice. It said he did it for 40 days. Every morning, he sent out that Insta story. Come on, Israel. Who's mad enough to face me? Who's mad enough to take me down? And so this 40th day, David just happens to be there. And he says, what's that? Who's this dude talking? And then they tell him, if you look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 25, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his house tax-free in Israel. That's a pretty good deal. And David was thinking, I've been with the sheep way too long. It's time to marry a princess. It's time to be rich. It's time to be tax-free. He's motivated by the reward. There's no spiritual motivation here. He likes the reward. See that? He didn't say, well, let me go pray and intercede and supplicate and write a few psalms and see if this is the will of God for my life. He says, yep, it's time to leave these sheep behind. Because notice what he said. What? So, wait a minute, wait a minute. Say that one more time. What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? You sure? And people say, yeah. You marry the princess, the king will make you rich, and you'll be tax-free. He says, wait a minute, I can be wealthy? I don't have to pay taxes? Carry the two. Oh, that sounds pretty good. And notice what he says. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. So now he's motivated because he likes the reward. But when he said uncircumcised Philistine, you have to remember that circumcision was a sign of the covenant of the descendants of Abraham. To show they had a covenant with God, they circumcised. Aren't you glad that is not the role that you have to be to join the church? If we did that, we have a lot less guys joining the church. <laughs> it's like, well, that is the growth track process. No, no, no. I watch online, pastor. And actually, some, another cool fact, by the way, we're already on track to have more people join the church in the first six months than we had all of last year. So it was really cool. God's doing some amazing things around here. So he said, who is this man with no covenant? I have a covenant. I am the seed of Abraham. So who is this man, even though he's nine feet tall, who is this man with no covenant to stand against the people who have a covenant. So David is familiar with his covenant, and David is talking big. He's talking bad. He says, I'll take this giant down. And someone says, oh, we, we got a fighter. And they go and tell King Saul. He says, hey, there's this dude that says he'll take on the giant. And Saul's like, great, because that means I won't have to fight him. Because Saul was the tallest man in Israel. He says he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So it would make sense naturally that the Saul, the king, would fight Goliath. But he says, no, not me. He wasn't even on the front line. He's like, I'm back in my tent. I'm back in my green room. Let me know when we have a fighter. I will pay him. And so David comes in. I'm sure Saul's thinking, okay, this is going to be a strong man. This is going to be a mighty guy. This is going to be a warrior. He's going to be ripped. He's going to be ready. He's going to have swords. He's going to be ready. And Saul looks at him and is like, you can't fight him. You are a child. He's been killing people since he was a child. 
this is not going to add up. And then David begins to rehearse his victories. See, you have to learn how to rehearse your victories in life, how God has brought you through, how God has made you more than a conqueror. You can't forget because Satan will always try to bring discouragement your way and say, oh, you don't know what you're going to do, but you said that 10 years ago. You said that five years ago. You said that two years ago, but God is always faithful. And so he began to rehearse his victories. He says, look, a bear came after my sheep. And another day a lion came after the sheep, and they took a sheep from me. Now some of you say, well, that's a poor sheep. I liked you, Billy Bob. <laughs> well, be a good happy meal. But that wasn't good enough for David. He chased down the bear. He chased down the lion. He opened the mouth of those animals and took the sheep back and killed the lion and killed the bear. These are two separate occasions. And he said, the same God that delivered me out of the paw of a lion and out of the paw of a bear will deliver this Philistine into my hand. Why? David knows his covenant. He knows this giant cannot stand against him because he has a covenant. And Saul gets real spiritual. Well, go and may the force be with you. <laughs> may the Lord be with you. Saul really wanted David to wear his armor, but he says, I can't wear it. It doesn't fit me, but I got this. So he gets a staff in his hand, and he goes to the river and picks up five smooth stones. Well, does David have bad aim? No, Goliath had four brothers. He said, we can make this a family affair. So he picks it up, and he goes toward Goliath, and Goliath starts mocking him. He says, who is this little boy? He says, you coming against me with sticks and stones? He says, I'm going to kill you and feed you to the birds. And then David replies, look, I'm taking you down today. I'm going to cut off your head, and I'm going to feed your body to the birds. Because you come against me with a sword, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. And Goliath is angry, and he starts running at David. Do you imagine what it's like for a nine-foot-tall dude, huge, who is his armor and his sword weighs hundreds of pounds, that type of dude running after you? The ground may be moving. Boom. Boom. This dude is bigger than Shaq. Boom. 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 And some of you are like, well, maybe I made a bad decision. Is it too late to get out of this? But David runs at the giant. But he didn't run out of the giant with his mouth closed. He said, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord. See, don't run into the giants of life with your mouth closed. Open your mouth and say your covenant. Amen. And so he takes the rock, puts it in a sling, and slings it at the giant. And that rock accelerates in the air, and it sinks into the giant's skull. That rock became like a Goliath falls to the ground, and everybody goes, <gasps> you know, everybody, no one's talking. No, even the Israelites are like, man, he did it. And so David goes and stands on the giant. He doesn't have a sword, remember? So he takes Goliath's sword, the sword that had been fashioned in the camp of the enemy for the oppression of the Israelites. He took the weapon of the enemy and turned it into a tool of deliverance. See, Satan may have come against you and tried to stop you, but God can take what Satan used and cause it to prosper you. And so he took the sword of the enemy and chopped off the giant's head and lifted his head up. 
Philistines like, oh, no. The Israelites are like, yes, and David, let's get them. And they charge and they defeat the Philistines and chase them from city to city. This is the first great victory in David's life. How did he get this victory? Yeah, he was anointed, but he knew his covenant. He knew what belonged to him as a covenant man, as the seed of Abraham, as an heir of the Abrahamic covenant, as an heir of the one who said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. He took down a giant and delivered Israel. Now, 13 years later, he becomes king, and seven years after that, he's king over all of Israel. And at this point, God gives him rest from all his enemies. Because remember, he's been fighting for 20 years. He's a warrior at heart. And he's having victory after victory after victory. Nobody can stop him. And so when he has rest around his bout, there's no wars for him to fight. He looked around. He's in a nice house. He's in the palace. God has done so many good things to him. And so the prophet Nathan's there that day. He said, why should I dwell in this nice house and my God doesn't have a nice temple? I'm going to build him a temple. And Nathan said, well, do whatever's in your heart. God's with you. And so the prophet turns, and he goes. As he's heading home, God says, go back and talk to my servant, David. And he tells him this message. So go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to pick up with verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, shall you build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, even unto this day, but have walked, we have walked in a tent in a tabernacle. And all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, did I tell anybody of the tribe of Israel who I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, why build me not a house of cedar? Now, therefore, you shall say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies out of your sight, and I've made you a great name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they would dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time, and as since the time I command judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thy enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. So notice, not only will, in this promise, will David be blessed, but Israel is blessed because of David. Not only is David going to have rest from his enemies, Israel will have rest from all their enemies. Because Israel has been in a state of war since they came out of Egypt and possessed the promised land. You read through Joshua, they are fighting. And there's periods of breaks, but then in the book of Judges, there's periods of fighting. Under Samuel's ministry, there's periods of fighting. Under Saul's leadership, there's 40 years of fighting. But now David's been fighting for 20 years, and God said, you're going to have rest, but so are your people. So the people were going to be blessed because God is blessing the king that's over the people. And God says, and I will make you a house. 
What type of house? When your days be fulfilled, when you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, which shall proceed out of your bowels. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Think about this to an earthly king. They may think that when I die, will my son actually sit on the throne or will there be a coup? Will someone overthrow him? What is my transition process? But God just said, I'm going to give you and your descendants a throne forever. He said, I will be his father. Even though you're gone, I'll be his dad, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I'll chase him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, who I put away before you. So although Saul lost his position as king, I don't care what your son does, he won't end up like Saul. Wait a minute. Saul lost his position because Saul decided to worship himself. Saul didn't worship false gods, he just worshiped himself. He said, your son that I'll put on the throne, even if he messes up, I'm not taking the throne from him. Wow. But God's not done yet. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, according to all the visions, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King David and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you've done this for me? He is overwhelmed with gratitude. He just wanted to build God a temple, and God says, no, you ain't going to build it, but this is what I'm going to do for you. You wanted to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. David is overwhelmed with gratitude. So with this covenant promise to David, Israel will be blessed with the greatest peace they've known since coming out of Egypt. They will have rest from all their enemies. In this promise, not only would the king be blessed, but all of those in his kingdom would be beneficiaries of the blessing. This passage of Scripture is known as the Davidic Covenant. God makes an eternal promise to bless David, his kingdom, and his descendants. God promises never to take away his mercy from him. So let's define terms. What does the word mercy mean? The word mercy from the Hebrew word hased is the idea of faithful love in action. Referring to God's loving kindness expressed in his covenant relationship with Israel. This denotes God's persistent and unconditional tenderness, kindness, and mercy. This is a relationship in which he seeks after man with love and mercy. So it's not based on man seeking after him. He says, I'm going to go after them. So he's even telling David that your son may mess up and go away, but I'll go after him myself. This word shows God's loyalty to his covenant and his love for his people, along with a faithfulness to keep his promises. Hesed is God's covenant determination to bless and show his kindness and love. That's what that word mercy means that he promised to David and his descendants. God promised David that he would not remove his mercy, his said from David's descendants forever. Say forever. forever. He promised that there would always be one of his descendants on the throne of Israel forever. Say forever. forever. The book of Isaiah and the book of Acts refers to this as the sure mercies of David. Meaning these mercies are faithful. 
These mercies are reliable. These mercies are trustworthy. Go to Psalm 89. So eventually David dies. Solomon, his son, becomes king. And the majority of Solomon's life, he's doing great. But eventually, he decides to worship other gods because he married the wrong woman. Not just like, oh, he married the wrong woman. No, no, women. He messed up greatly because he married a thousand. Lord have mercy. <laughs> not getting into that. Keep going. So he married, and some of the ones he married didn't worship God. So they turned his heart away, and he began to worship other gods and began to build temples to these other gods and goddesses. And he turned away from God. And as he did, he opened the door for the enemy to come in. And so instead of having a life full of rest and prosperity, because the first years, maybe decades of Solomon's reign, not only did he, was he the richest man on the earth, the kingdom was prosperous. It said precious stones and rubies were as common as dust. He was so rich. The kingdom was so rich. Other kings traveled just to see it themselves. They sent ambassadors to sit in Solomon's court just to get wisdom and bring it back to their kingdom. That's how successful Solomon's reign was. And at the end of his life, he begins to turn. We know he does repent at the end of his life. You read that through the book of Ecclesiastes and see other things in the book of Proverbs. But he turns and opens the door for the enemy. And there is judgment that is coming because of his sin. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. The harvest of sin is judgment and some form of death. And God says, the kingdom is going to split in your son's time. He says, it's not going to happen in your lifetime because of David. So God tells Solomon, you're not going to reap the consequences of your actions because your daddy stood before me. See, some people in life experience really good things, and people don't know why. So why are they blessed? They acting crazy. They had a praying great-great-grandmother who stood before God and whose prayers still work in the earth. And so, in Solomon's son's time, he makes a stupid decision, and the kingdom splits away from him. But God said, I'm not going to let the entire kingdom go away because of David. You always have at least these two tribes plus some. And so eventually, those two tribes, which are known as Judah, they stay with God longer. But the Israelites turn and worship false gods almost from, the, almost from the beginning. And eventually, Israel and Judah are dispersed. The Assyrians take, a, take Israel, and a hundred or so years later, the Babylonians come and disperse Judah. They are exiled. So you get to Psalm 89, which some people say, oh, it's written by David. It's not. Because it's written during the time of exile. It's written during the time where there is no king on Israel's throne. And so when it's Psalm 89, verse 1, it says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant, thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Say, Lord, pause and think about that. So what is he doing right now? He's reminding God of his promise. He's reminding God of his covenant towards David. Because everything around him does not look like the promise of God. Everything around him does not look like the sure mercies of David. Because you see in verse 28, it says, he reminds God, he says, My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. But verse 33, nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him. 
nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing which has gone out of my lips. Once I've sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. So the psalmist is quoting the song, okay, God, you're a man of your, I believe you're going to do what you said, but what I see does not line up to what I read. What I observe does not look like what you promised. Anybody ever been there? That I'm standing on the word, but what I see does not look like what you told me. So, but even in the midst of that, he said, I will sing of the mercies of God forever. I will sing of his steadfast love forever. I will sing of his steadfast determination to bless and to love and show unconditional kindness forever. Because part of mercy is you get what you didn't deserve. So although the Israelites and those the citizens of Judah deserve to be dispersed, he is singing about the mercy of God and reminding God about his promises and about his word. Because he's like, well, how can it happen that a descendant of David will be on the throne forever when we're in exile? He doesn't understand that. Because even before this time, there was a prophecy that comes forth, and we love to look at it at Christmas time. But it's Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we know the Israelites and the descendants of Judah come back. God brings them back after 70 years. They're established. A number of hundred years go by. But God has still made a promise to David that from your descendants, I'm going to put somebody on the throne and his throne will never end. His kingdom will never end. And you get to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man who was the name of Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came in unto her and said, hey, what's up? That's what hell means. Hey, good to see you. What up? <laughs> you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at a saying and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation shall this be? You know what's really interesting? That she's not afraid of the angel. A lot of times when angels showed up in Scripture, people get scared and say, hey, don't be afraid of us. She ain't even bothered that there's an angel that showed up. What's up, there? She's like, well, what? He said, I'm troubled about what you're saying. What is what you're saying to me? So the angel replies, don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So Gabriel is saying the Davidic covenant will be fulfilled in your son. Everything God promised to David is going to happen in your child. See, Matthew makes it very clear. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So when you understand this, when you understand what we taught in the greatest story ever told, when you understand following the scarlet thread, 
Matthew 1 verse 1 should read like a declaration to your spirit. Because it says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It makes it very clear. In you shall all nations of the earth be blessed, son of Abraham. In him there will be mercies that will never be taken away. His throne will be forever, son of David. So the very first scripture of the New Testament is Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, and he is anointed. That's the opening to the New Testament. That is the opening to the new covenant. So we understand that son of David is a messianic title. He is the one who will reign forever upon the throne. And remember, being the son of David, he is the heir of all the promised sure mercies. As Israel was blessed because of David, all those who followed Jesus would be blessed in like manner. Let's go to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. I'm bringing this thing to a close real quickly. Mark chapter 10. Son of David is a messianic title. Mark chapter 10. And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho, with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, don't just read through this fast like you might normally do, Jesus, you son of David. Have mercy on me. The Davidic covenant. He believed in who Jesus was. He believed he's the son of David. He believed he's the heir of all the sure mercies of God's steadfast kindness, God's loyal love, God's willing to pursue after the person, God's willing to never take his kindness from them. He believes that. So because he believes that, because you're the son of David, you have reliable, trustworthy mercy. And I call for that mercy. This is a faith declaration. This wasn't a random phrase, oh, son of David, yo, I need your help over here. This is faith declaration based on a man who knows what's available to him in a covenant. People said, shut up. Be quiet. Jesus don't have time for you. You don't have enough followers for him to talk to you. You are not even verified. Why is he going to take time and stop and talk to you? But it says as more people told him to shut up, the louder he got. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says Jesus stood still. He said, bring him here. And everybody changed the tune. Oh, Jesus wants to talk to you. Come on, be of good courage. Come on, everybody. People are fickle. People are special. <laughs> you can't live by the applause of men because if you live by the applause of men, you will die by their criticism. And so he's brought to him, but the thing is, he's not just heading to Jesus as a beggar anymore. As he went, 
he had a James Brown moment. Because he had a cloak that represented his caste. It represented his state of life. It recognized his economic status. That he was a beggar, never to be anything else but a beggar. But when Jesus said, come here, he took the cloak and threw it off. Representing before he ever got to Jesus, my life is about to change. Before he ever got to Jesus, I'm not going to stay in the same situation I'm in. Before he ever got to Jesus, I'm about to be healed. I'm about to come out of my poverty. I'm about to come out of my situation. So he saw Jesus and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Because some people say, is it an obvious? No, Jesus gave to the poor all the time. Jesus asked him specifically because your faith can be specific. He says, what do you want from me? the son of David, the one who has all the mercy, that I might receive my sight. And he says, your faith has made you whole. Go your way. Wait a minute. His eyes open because he grabbed hold of faith to what? The mercy of God. Yes, it's who Jesus is, but he grabbed hold to mercy. He grabbed hold to God's steadfast love. He grabbed hold to the belief that God is determined to bless me. And if God is determined to bless me, I shouldn't be blind no more. If God is determined to bless me, I shouldn't be broke no more. If God is determined to bless me and the Son of David is actually here, have mercy on me. He grabbed onto that mercy and he was healed and made whole, delivered from his status and delivered from his affliction because he had faith and the mercy of God. Which brings you to Matthew 21, verse 9. On the original Palm Sunday. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the one who has the mercies. Hosanna to the heir of the Davidic covenant. Hosanna to God's fulfillment of his promise to David. But the thing is, sometimes we just read that praise like, oh, that is great. They believe he's the son of David, but that's also a quotation from the scriptures. What else would they have been singing and saying that day? Psalm 118, which starts out in verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Let them now that fear the Lord, that revere the Lord, respect the Lord, that his mercy endures forever. So one of the opening lines, one of the opening things of this whole song is the steadfast love of God, is the mercy of God, is God's, determin God's determination to fulfill his promises, to fulfill his covenant, to show steadfast love and unconditional kindness to his people. That's one of the themes of this song. So then you can skip down to verse 24, and it says, This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That means God makes the day, but it's your job to manage your joy. It doesn't matter what day you wake up. This is the day the Lord has made. But it's your job to manage your joy. Why? You know Jesus is the son of David. You know, God has mercies for you. They're fresh and new every single morning. So instead of tripping because it's Monday, instead of tripping because you say, oh, I got all this I have to handle, wait, no, 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 no. I'm going to manage my joy. My joy is my job. 
So don't expect someone else to give you joy and to keep you happy. That's not their job. You manage your own joy because you know your God is good and his mercy endures forever. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Why? Your mercy endures forever. Why? The Davidic covenants. Why? Bartimaeus grabbed hold of it. He's not a beggar anymore. The mercy of God includes prosperity. Because God promised Abraham, I'll bless those. I bless you. Everybody in you is going to be blessed. Poverty is not a blessing. God didn't say, if you're faithful, I'll make you broke. If you follow me, I'll take all your money away. No. They're crying out, Hosanna, save now, send forth prosperity. For this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So you get a bad financial report. This is still the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Send now, prosperity. This is my year of abundant harvest. Send now, prosperity. Lord, have mercy on me. Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Because of Jesus, you are a beneficiary of the Davidic covenant. God pursues you with steadfast love. So even on your worst day, when you're acting a hot mess, when you're far away from God, God has said, that's enough, I'm done with you. I've given you enough chances. He is still working on your heart, pulling you close. The Holy Ghost is still dealing with your spirit. So, no, 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 stop doing that. Come back. No, don't do that anymore. No, no, no. He didn't give up on you. Why? You're an heir of the sure mercies of David. God says, I'm not going to take my mercy from you. So he keeps dealing with you and dealing with you and dealing with you and dealing with you, even though he should have turned you loose a long time ago. He is faithful when we've been faithless, for his mercy endures forever. That's why when people backslide prodigal sons and daughters, he sends people after them. All of a sudden, they run into someone who's saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and they got a testimony. They say, oh, I don't want to hear from you. They run into somebody. Oh, I don't want to hear from you. They have, oh, let me just look on social media. Oh, no, someone else is saved on social media. He's going after them. So let God use you to go after people. God will use you. He'll go after people, and he'll bring them home like the prodigal son. See, the, one of the things I love about the prodigal son, it shows the heart of God as a father toward his children, even those who run away. But you know what happened when the prodigal son came back? The father was waiting for him with open arms, hugged him even though he was messy, stinky, smelled like pigs. He said, put on a fresh robe. Give him my ring. That ring represented the bank account. Because if you sealed it with the ring, that meant that's the credit card. He's broke. He's spent, wasted all his money. The dad said, take mine. Give him some fresh shoes. And he says, kill the fatted calf. Now, what's those words? Like, okay, he's going to have a great steak. But it's more than that. Because in Jewish tradition, they kept the fatted calf just in case God showed up like he did for Abram. So when in Genesis, God showed up to Abraham and said that, hey, this is this, Sarah prepared a great meal. They said, just in case it happens again, if you have enough money, keep a fatted calf. 
But God in this story through Jesus takes what was reserved for him and gives it to you. Not based on works, based on this one man's decision to turn and believe that his father would take him back. In this whole covenant, it's not based on what you did. It's based on what Jesus did. And are you willing to turn, which is the word, repent, and believe in the exceeding great mercy of God? He is loyal to you. You haven't always been loyal, but he's always been loyal to you. He is always faithful to you. He is determined to bless you. He is determined to show his love to you. So that's what it means when he's the son of David. That's what the Davidic covenant means to you. And so on Friday, we'll go even further with the scarlet thread. Because it's even more available to you because of your covenant with Jesus. And see, the thing is, when you look at all the other covenants, they can be disannulled and broken in different areas because of man's disobedience. But the covenant that God made with his new covenant is between the Father and the Son. Neither of them are going to break their parts. But in that covenant, they listed you as beneficiaries. So it didn't say, if they're perfect, I will heal them. If they do right, I will bless them. God said, Jesus, if you do right, I will heal them. If you do right, I will bless them. If you do right, I'll give them wisdom. If you do right, I'll break them out. If you do right, I'll break them through. If you do right, it's your covenant. David took down a giant because he knew his covenant. Bartimaeus was healed because he knew his covenant. What can't you do if you know your covenant? Or in other words, you know what belongs to you. That's why you get in this book. That's why you taught the Word because you see, oh, that belongs to me. Oh, man, his mercy endures forever. Oh, that belongs to me. Oh, his mercy endures forever. Oh, he's so good. Oh, man, that's mine. His mercy endures forever. Oh, that belongs to me because his mercy endures forever. Oh, he's so good. That belongs to me because his mercy endures forever. See, he's so merciful. If you're in here and you've screwed up your life, you do not have to pay for your mistakes because Jesus paid for it. God doesn't want to punish you because he punished Jesus for you. People receive punishment for sins because they don't put the punishment back on Jesus. They don't confess their sins. They sow and they reap harvests because they go in the wrong direction. God doesn't want to punish you. He punished Jesus for you. We'll look at that on Good Friday because mercy endures forever because he loves you. And see, the thing is, the whole requirement to get in on this covenant is you just got to believe. Are you willing to believe that Jesus was the promised sacrifice, that he is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world? Are you willing to believe in what Jesus did? Because based on how much you believe is how much you will see in your life. Because your belief will affect your actions. He said, well, yeah, because of his mercy, I can keep sinning. No, 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 because if you actually believe that he's merciful and forgives, you don't want to sin. You believe he loves you that much. Man, if he loves me that much, I don't want to mess with his love. If he loves me that much, Paul said it just makes sense for us to live for him. 
It just makes sense. It's not even deep. If God did all this for me, it just makes sense for me to do everything I have in my own effort and my power and leaning on the Holy Ghost to do right. I don't do right to get God to like me. I do right because my God is madly in love with me. I'm not doing right to impress God to get on his good side. I am forever on his good side. On my bad day, I'm still on his good side. That's why when I mess up, I can go, hey, I messed up, forgive me. I confess my sins. He's faithful just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all all righteousness. I'm forever on his good side. So I don't have to tiptoe in heaven on my bad days. I can go up and take a seat because there's a seat reserved for me because of what Jesus did. My seat is with Jesus on the right hand of God. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I can come take my seat and say, hey, I need forgiveness. And God will forgive me because of what Jesus did. See, what Jesus did covered all sin, past, present, and future. It gave me a spot. The blood of Jesus made a way, a highway to the throne of God. So when you believe in what Jesus did, you have no reason to say you are unworthy. That is ridiculous. That is an insult to the covenant. That is an insult to the blood of Jesus. The blood has made you worthy. So don't you dare come into the presence of God and say, I'm unworthy. He says, well, it's obvious I'm unworthy. It's obvious all of us are unworthy. Grace is undeserved favor. But don't you tell God you're not worthy of receiving his blessing? Jesus made you worthy. So don't come to God saying, well, I'm unworthy. Don't say, well, God, you should bless me because I did everything right this week. You come to God believing, receiving everything good because Jesus did what was right. See, I lay hold to my healing, not because I did what was right, but because Jesus did what is right, and by his stripes I am healed. I lay hold to peace for my mind today because my chastisement was put on Jesus. I lay hold to whatever I need because Jesus paid the price. And if he paid the price, why should I leave it on the counter? If he paid for me to have it all, why leave it? See, people who leave stuff out of religious obligation are bound by religion. Get everything that God has for you. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. I have to stop here. Stand to your feet. His mercy endures forever. Hallelujah to Jesus. So believe in his mercy. Thank God every day for his mercy. It's fresh every morning. It's for you every morning. One of the things you just say to the more, Father, thank you that you're merciful. Thank you that you have mercy on me. Go ahead and lift your hands and thank God for his steadfast love. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your mercy. You are good and your mercy endures forever. It's part of our benefits too. You crown us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Thank you for being so determined to bless us that on our worst days, you're still good. On the days we've messed everything up, you already had a plan ready before the foundation of the world to fix it. On days we've encountered setbacks, you've already planned comebacks. Thanks for watching the Faith Broadcast today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We'd love to hear from you. So if you're watching us, you can follow us on social media. Our social media handles on Twitter and Instagram is at WeAreFaithATL. You can also go to our website at FCCJ.com. 
follow us on social media, follow us on our YouTube channel, contact us online. We'd love to hear from you. Have a wonderful day.